Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Joining me today is Derek Bros to discuss a very important topic that's just genuinely not getting enough attention, a very important revelation due to a FOIA request around something that he specifically has been covering uh, seemingly alone. I Very few people out there I've seen even talk about this, which is this fluoride trial. We're using hashtag fluoride trial, hashtag fluoride lawsuit for people to kind of collect the information around this to see that there's been an ongoing investigation or, or a lawsuit into the risks and potential downsides, I guess, around fluoride in our water, which I think anybody even remotely aware of this ongoing problem has become aware of the science and the research that's been showing for a very long time that it's not even remotely what they claim, in particular around children and and lowering of IQs and how this is affecting people and the long-term side effects. And so Derek Bros is here to join me today to discuss where this has gone today. And it's a very, I'm going to let him discuss how alarming this last revelation is but i'm we're going to talk about how it's gone so far why this is important and and discuss in my one thing i want to get into is how this relates to the bigger discussion today around whether covid19 vaccination or just in general being left in the dark by the very people that are supposed to be keeping us safe so thank you for joining today derek how are you i'm doing great brother thank you for having me on i i I do think this is a very important conversation more so than even people might they might seem to the average person. It's not really, in my opinion, just about fluoride in the water. It's about the way that the government conducts itself, especially when it seems that they're caught or at the very least that there's something they don't want you to see. And that there seems just to be a complete lack of accountability when they just get to go. We'll just put a pin in that. Nobody gets to see it anymore. Right. So go, go ahead. So it's, tell us what we're talking about today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, I, and we're going to get just to that that point there that you're making. Uh, I'll fill in the gaps. So for anybody who hasn't heard our previous interviews or who hasn't been following along with my article series. And it, it's I understand if you haven't heard of this because it's been a while. We actually started reporting on this back in summer 2020 when the hearings in the fluoride lawsuit actually made it and eventually became you know actual hearings but with a judge and with the government representing the EPA, the U.S. government, and uh, lawyers representing Fluoride Action Network and Food and Water Watch, Organic Consumers Association, a lot of other groups, who actually sued the EPA back in 2016. And they sued the EPA under what's known as the Toxic Substances Abuse Act. And this is, I think, been the most creative way and clearly the most successful way to try to put fluoride, fluoride on trial, water fluoridation on trial specifically, Um, For those who are unaware, in the United States, the practice of water fluoridation began in the 1940s and 50s. There's a great book called The Fluoride Deception that I encourage you to read uh, to learn more about that whole history. Because as usual, there's there's some corruption going on. Uh, You know, one thing I'll point out, too, is that the company that currently sells what is known as fluoride, which is actually hydrofluorosilicic acid, which is a uh, byproduct of phosphate mining, that company named is Mosaic Co. and they're based in Florida. This company sells this waste, which is a byproduct of their mining, a waste product, and it's repurposed as fluoride, allegedly good for your health and teeth, and it's sold to cities like Houston, where I'm from, for millions of dollars per year. And then they then put that in the water for people to ingest. But it's not just when you if you drink from the tap water, which I would never recommend no matter where you live, unless you got well water. Um, but let's say you're drinking from the tap water. Well, that's one exposure, but then you also got, do you boil your, you know, potatoes with the water from the tap or do you cook your, your, you make your coffee with the water from the tap? Well, that's also increasing your fluoride intake. And most of us take showers. So if you're taking showers, what is the biggest organ you have? Your skin, your skin's going to absorb the fluoride intake through there. So it's important if you're trying to avoid this to get things like, uh, shower, uh, 
shower filters. But that's, of course, the, where the problem lies is that this is an involuntary, uh, non-consensual medication of the American people, and you actually have to go out of your way to avoid it. So you got to go buy filtered water, or you got to put a filter on your shower, or you got to go through all these efforts, right? So this fight has been going on for generations. I mean, well before we've been around, people have been trying to raise the alarm bell about fluoride since at least the 70s, and groups have been forming in different parts of the U.S. I think the biggest city to uh, remove fluoride from the water is Portland, Oregon. And uh, it's just been an ongoing battle. So can I, can I ask you one thing before yeah. we get into the beginning of the trial sequence? I just in, yeah. in, I know we're limited on time, but just give me, a, you know, for those the history there a little bit deeper on that for people to understand, because it's almost like for those that are aware of what has been revealed with studies around this. It's not that shocking. But for someone who's just heard this. They, sure. Oh, well, they put this for your teeth and, and you even mentioned for health, which I don't Is that even what they're arguing? I don't even know how you can make that <laughs> argument, but, but ultimately give them the back down, the breakdown for how that started. So deeper on the company and why that's being sold to them as a byproduct. And what was the decision process, if you know, for why it was added to water and then justified for your teeth and so on. Just a little bit. Yeah. more. Yeah, no, absolutely. And this is an important history, especially if somebody hearing this conversation is like, okay, Ryan, I'm with you about the COVID shots, but this fluoride, come on, we all know that's safe. Uh, I do encourage you to read the book, Fluoride Deception, or at least I think there's a documentary version of it, too, if you want to watch that. But in the book, uh, the author does a great job of going back. And what he found was the fluoride operation was actually a combination of um, using Edward, Ber Edward Bernays-like propaganda and marketing by convincing the American public that this Again, a waste product, which the company, in this case, Mosaic Co., and I think back in the day, I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head. That was the first company that started doing this practice. But this company would have had to pay to dispose of this waste, right? So they would have had to actually spend money to say, hey, we have this waste product from our mining. We don't know what to do with it. Okay, we have to spend money to bury it or try to figure out what the heck to do with it. Well, working this brilliant propaganda and we can go back and show, see that the American Dental Association definitely worked with them to promote this propaganda and to kind of push it onto the American people that fluoride in your toothpaste, you know, and then eventually fluoride in the water was a way to uh, encourage like less cavities because they are saying in the rural America where people don't have as much access, it's the same arguments they make today, like with the digital divide, all those poor people in the countries, they don't have 5G, we need to get it to them. Well, they're saying all the poor people in the country side who don't have proper, um, you know, dental health, their teeth are rotting and this is bad for American healthcare systems. Cause it's a know, gigantic it, assumption to just assume exactly. people. I, it's just, go ahead. <laughs> and so they, they basically came up with that idea and that kind of campaign that, okay, let's get fluoride in the water because this way, if people don't have money to go to the dentist, if they can't afford dental care, well, at least when they drink water, the water washes over their teeth is the argument they make. Now, of course it goes into your body and exposes to so many other things. So that's like the original argument. Now, we can find, and I've been documenting this stuff since at least 2012, um, that there are numerous studies, and, and Fluoride Action Network, who's behind the lawsuit we're about to get into, their website is fluoridealert.org. If you're, again, if you're totally new to this, just go look at their mountainous piles of evidence uh, showing water fluoridation and hydrofluorosilicic acid affecting kidneys, uh, thyroid, um, liver, uh, uh, hip and bone health in general, joint health, uh, and now the most recent claims that are kind of becoming known is the IQ effects, the lowering of IQ and uh, the potential to disrupt mental capacity in general. And then, of course, it does affect the pineal gland. There are some people who get into their theories about that affecting people on a spiritual level. Um, there's, I mean, but the, the, the 
it's it's voluminous. The amount of evidence that's out there, there's no way that anybody who is honest with themselves and truly objective can look at the amount of evidence that is on this side of the equation. Because to be fair, you can go find some ADA funded, industry funded studies, studies with quotations that claim fluoride is perfectly healthy. But those studies, those corporate reports are outnumbered 10 to 1 with the, the record showing that fluoride causes harm to the human body, not just to the human body, but it can har harm animals and, and plants. And, and hydrofluorosilicic acid is a poison. I mean, you can find the pictures online of them holding the bag and it's got like the big skull and crossbones and stuff. And that's the thing that they're literally pouring into the water in the United States. Not to mention that this practice is not universal. It's not like where I live in Mexico, they don't fluoridate the water. Now in Europe and Mexico and other places, they fluoridate the salt. So they put like, hmm. you know, salt on the table and it's, I guess that's their idea. Oh, people will get, but that's totally different. You're, you, you have a choice if you want to pour that salt on your food, well, right? How does that have any effect on your teeth if it's in the salt though? That's, that's it doesn't make any sense either, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's at least not being put in the water without people's consent and you you can decide do i want to use this salt or not right now i don't think the argument holds either way but no. it seems to suggest that all they really want is just for it to get into your body which is that's that's my opinion but i i think point. so this, yeah this so he says really quickly i just noticed this as i brought it up and i quickly searched and you could find new as you pointed out there are numerous studies are very clearly finding similar things but it says but critics say the results are barely statistically significant so right there is an admission that it, it clearly is having this effect, just not as strong as you say it is. So that's enough, though. Like the fact that they're even admitting it has a effect on children's IQs should be enough. I mean, it's just it's so that's your point. It's, it's been obvious for a long time. It's been obvious. And so the, what the, all that stuff, that history is basically what led to this lawsuit, because people like myself, activists and other places have tried to varying degrees of success to get rid of fluoride in the water. But like I said, I mean, you've got Portland, you've got a couple other small towns. It hasn't been a very successful effort. I know that we didn't succeed in Houston. Dallas didn't succeed. Austin didn't succeed. San Marcos, Texas, a little small college town. They succeeded a couple years ago. Uh, but it's, it's really piecemeal like that. So by and large, most Americans are still being exposed to fluoride. Even if you don't drink the tap water, even if you, know, you don't use that at all, unless you have a shower filter and you're definitely absorbing it. And if you're taking 20 minute, 30 minute showers, that stuff is just going into your pores. And the way fluoride works like a lot of toxins, it is a cumulative effect. So the more of it that builds up in your body, the more uh, impact and harm it can cause. Along with whatever else may be in your water. Exactly. Whatever other, and that's how, yeah, the toxins in the water are, are abundant, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So I think that with that set, with that stage set, the Fluoride Action Network, Organic Consumers Association, Food and Water Watch, et cetera, they came together and said, look, we've, I'm sure they, they spent, I know they spent a lot of money and time on this lawsuit. And that's, I think, why the government's delaying it that we're going to talk about in a moment. But they came together and they strategized and said, look, the, the EPA does have this ruling. It's called the Toxic, Toxic Substances Abuse Act. And if you can get something to be proven to be toxic, then under the EPA's own rules, this own law that was passed, I think, in the 70s, then it has to be either regulated or obviously banned. And so what they're trying to prove, they filed this petition, uh, originally a petition with the EPA saying, hey, we would like you to consider uh, hydrofluorosilic acid as a potential toxic substance under the TSCA. And the EPA rejected that petition, of course, and said, hey, we have nothing. We're not going to listen to you. That was 2016. So it went back and forth, back and forth, all the way till summer 2020, when it finally reached a judge who was like, you know what, I think we need to review this petition. And that's when the whole thing began. That's when the judge, as you see there, that's when I started covering this. And it was basically uh, Judge uh, Richard Chen, I believe. He was hearing 
the original petition from the plaintiffs, the, the uh, Fluoride Action Network and their groups, and he was hearing arguments from the U.S. EPA, the government. And that went on for a couple of weeks. I covered that extensively uh, on Twitter and on Last American Vagabond. And basically by October, September 2020, after reviewing the evidence, and I do encourage everybody to go read those articles. I did at least a couple that tried to make it a simple kind of reviewing it all together because, I mean – just like the story we're about to cover, you have experts, and I don't use that word lightly because I, I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but Philip Grangine, this uh, Danish scientist who has all the accolades you would need to, to be able to speak confidently and expertly on water and on the toxicity of uh, this poison and all these kinds of things. And he's also one of the people who was involved in the IQ study that you were just referencing. And so he came out and he gave his p testimony and said, here, this is what we found. This is what we know. Of course, the government tried to deflect but most interesting, it was either that first week or the second week, Ryan, that, oh, yeah, right there, where he says that he was threatened. That He's the one who said that he, he worked with Harvard as well, that he was threatened by some officials, uh, some other you know uh, colleagues for participating in the study on Floyd and for his conclusions, which I think, again, in a different world, that would be bombshell, like front page yeah. news. Scientists says he's, you know, Harvard scientists with all the degrees you could need. I would say more qualified than someone like a Fauci says he was threatened by other colleagues that his career could you know, be in, uh, I think he has 10 years, so they can't really do too much to him, but they can still try to demean him and, and you know, he's, he's crazy. He used to be a good scientist, but now he lost his mind. Well, think about this, though, in the context of what, like today that seems almost like, well, yeah, because of the way we've seen things hyper-politicized in COVID and so on. But this is not the same thing. This is barely even on the radar for most people. And so why, I, want, I just want people to ask, why do you think he would be attacked for that? For doing research as an expert, and, and coming to conclusions that just simply challenge the general held consensus. But it's not like this was some hyper politicized topic where they felt they were being attacked for having a different view. So to me, that speaks to something much more nefarious going on behind the scenes. That's just my opinion. What do you think? about? I, that? I agree. And that's I mean, I can't remember off the top of my head, but maybe if you scroll down, you can see the section where he talks about the um, the threatening because I don't know if he I don't believe he named any specific names, which is, you know, he's trying to be, I guess, professional about it. But. Again, this is a credentialed, well-respected scientist and qualified to speak on this topic saying I, my career was threatened you know, for trying to speak out. So that was all revealed back in 2020. I mean, this is, this is why it's a little bit of a shame, as Ryan is pointing out here, that other people, both mainstream and independent media, haven't picked up on this story because we're trying to shout it from the rooftops. And so that's where things were. By September, the judge put the trial on hold, what's called abeyance, and basically – one of the key components of this, the arguments in the fluoride trial, besides this study, uh, there's a Spanish study, there's a Canadian study, there's a bunch of different studies being presented, and the government was just trying to say, oh, that study doesn't qualify for this reason, or it's limited in this way, or it doesn't have a big enough uh, you know, testing pool, and all kinds of different things. But at the same time, the U.S. government's National Toxicology Program, the NTP, they have been working on their own review of all the, fluoride liter the literature on fluoride's toxicity, and this is what's known as a monograph. And so they, they have had a, uh, a draft edition of the monograph back then when the trial started in 2020. And the uh, plaintiffs, they, they brought it into evidence and said, hey, judge, the NTP has already said in their draft version of their monograph that, that fluoride is toxic and that it can affect human IQ. But the government convinced the judge and the judge agreed that he should wait till the NTP released the final, final edition before making a ruling. The judge was like, OK, you know what? That makes sense. I got a lot of info here, but I don't want to rule just yet. So that was where things ended in September 2020. And there's been a few hearings that I've covered here and there. But for the most mm -hmm. part, it was just 
kicked back. Okay, this date. Right. Nope, never mind. Rescheduled. Okay, rescheduled. Obviously, COVID, they pushed off a lot of things. So here we are. Before we go, go I just want to shout this, this this line out that I think was I just, it just kind of stood out to me. And I think I think that does bring us to pretty much where we are current with the, the recent article. But so just think I thought this was interesting. And this, I think, relates to what we're going to get into with Levine. At the very least, the, the you know higher level health authorities that it says he also stated that the fluoride lobby infiltrated a World Health Organization committee seeking to exclude any mention of harmful effects of fluoride. That's very interesting because it seems like a very you know, for, for the World Health Organization to in any way be involved, I just, I think that's a telling point, Ted, which will bring us to, you know, where we want to get into. Exactly. Jump in, oh, just real quickly as well, I want to shout out that we have this on, you know, if you want to go through all the previous coverage he has done before we get in the current article, you can, there's a link under his name on the website in general where you can go through each part of this that he's been covering, which brings us to the article, which is the one today. Internal CDC emails claim Assistant Secretary for Health blocked release of fluoride review, which, by the way, was also shared on the uh, Children's Health Defense. So it's nice to see it's getting reached. So go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that point, Ryan, about the who, because honestly, I totally forgot about that. But that's another to me. It's like there's another bombshell. Like we, you right. know, there's a lot of pieces of this puzzle that should be headline news. And I hope more of you who are listening, whether whatever resources you have, share this with your uh, your pages and your social media feeds. And if you follow certain people in the independent media, maybe send them this article, send them this video, encourage them to cover it. We'd love right. to talk about it more because we think this story deserves a lot more light. I agree. Um, so, yeah, so after all those revelations from the last two years, things were put on hold up until uh, just October, and there was a hearing that was the latest actual hearing that took place, and I reported on that one as well. There wasn't really many major moves made in that other than just the judge saying, okay, we're going to take it out of abeyance. We're going to actually resume this trial now because what happened is that NTP monograph I was talking to you guys about, it's never been released. Two and a half years later, it still has not come out, and we were told that it was going to be released in May 2022. This is what the judge was told. So he sort of was like, okay, let's wait. Let's wait till it comes out. Well, clearly we passed that date. Nothing has come out. And the judge is starting to clearly get annoyed and, and maybe a little skeptical of if this is ever going to come out. He even said as much to the government in the October hearing because the government's still arguing, judge, please don't rule. Let's wait till we get the final NTPT study. And the judge is like, well, we said this two years ago. We had no idea this was going to take up to three years. So maybe we should uh, you know, rethink just sitting around and doing nothing is actually what he said. And so he gave them until January, which here we are. Uh, and he told the uh, the plaintiffs, the Food uh, Fluoride Action Network attorney, Michael Conant, he said, look, if you have some means of getting this through FOIA, open records request, or however you want, if you can get the NTP monograph, you can submit it to the court and I'll review it. He did, of course, make the stipulation that he said it needed to be redacted because he doesn't want the public to see it yet. So that's like, okay, the judge is still playing a little bit of games there, right? He's like, okay, I want to see the study so I can make my ruling, but redact it and and don't let the public see it so that's exactly what the uh fluoride action network attorney did on just uh mid-december he filed this uh four exhibits and one of them was the ntp monograph which again is a review of all the studies on fluoride's toxicity that's being done by the u.s government and has been delayed now for several years and that was submitted but in a redacted form so it's all blacked out but he also submitted four different additional emails that they found through open records request, and that's what the article today focuses on because those emails are, are just another bombshell. And there you can see that's the redacted part of the NTP mm -hmm. monograph, which if you look at it, it's actually pretty short. There's just one page, and then the second page, it's like their assessment, their final thing. So that's it. I mean, clearly it's not a long, drawn-out document. And uh, there is a clear effort, as this article points out, to stop that, that monograph from being released, and that's what we're going to focus on.
yeah, before we get into the actual document, do you know what, what is the argument for why, if any, that this is being held back? They haven't really provided one. I mean, the government, the attorneys who are arguing for the EPA are basically just saying, it's not done yet, don't release it, right? And then the NTP, as we find out in these emails, because this is what we, up until just a couple of weeks ago when these emails are now made public, as far as the public knew, hey, maybe the NTP's not done yet. Maybe they still have more work to do. But now we have clear conversations and emails where the NTP's own scientists are saying, it's done. It, it was set. Our conclusions are right. set. We're ready for release. And that's what I think is the big thing. So it's not the NTP that apparently is trying to stop the release of this. It is... Right. Uh, the heads of the HHS, the Health and Human Services, and the heads of uh, the NIH. These are the two people that are referenced in these emails that we're going to go over here. So I think that's the point that needs to really be made is it's the conclusion, I would wager, clearly is not in the government's favor. Right. Otherwise, they would be shouting this thing from the rooftops. They would be they would have no problem releasing this. They would have released it on day one. They would be rushing to get the judge to make a decision on this. Right. And, so, and the NTP in your article makes clear that they have – that they're, like you said, that this is the final report. And there's even a mention in your article about how they kind of pushed back, right? Where they basically said, look, we want to, you know, we want to look at this further. And they said, no, it's done. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, that's, that's actually in the emails as well, where they said something to the effect, the CDC had emailed the NTP and they said, thank you. We received your comments. We appreciate them. We actually did respond to your comments and we're going to go ahead and release this on this date. Like, so they're making it clear, like, thank you, but no, thank you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a couple of times, so maybe we can show the, that first email, which I think is really the, the big headline. This is an email that came out again at, through open records request. It's dated June 3rd from a woman known as Nicole Johnson, associate director for policy at the CDC's oral health division. And she's contacting another official at the CDC's office in uh, Washington. And she said, this is so this is June 3rd, 2022. This is after the NTP was supposed to have released the study. And by this point, it had already been delayed. People are like, what's going on? Why is it not coming up? And Mrs. Johnson from the CDC's oral health division says the latest we heard yesterday is that A.S.H. Levine has put the report on hold until further notice. And you can see that's from Exhibit 8 in the trial. And the A.S.H. refers to U.S. Assistant Secretary of Health, Rachel Levine, Levine, who is the uh, controversial transgender head of secretary, you know, the secretary of health. And I say controversial, not only because of being a transgender person, but because calling for censorship and, and all kinds of different things. And, and I mean, literally the least controversial thing about her is that she's transgender. <laughs> she, I mean, the, the many different reasons that she gets in there, you know, for that title. Exactly. But this is, it, this is such a important for what we were just describing. So it's not, that they they don't they don't need more research because in the past as you again go back and follow Derek's work through this process it has been you know we need to flesh this part out or this needs to be better researched and we need more time this is just until further notice like so they're just going look we, we're done like we're just gonna put a pin in this and not gonna I mean I don't know how you can get away with something like this I'm surprised the judge hasn't I mean has the judge made any statements since the coverage of this article about this. Probably no, so we, we probably won't hear anything until this Thursday. So this Thursday, January 12th is the next hearing. And so this was, a, of course, submitted between hearings. My guess, obviously, is the judge has reviewed it. And that's I will be doing a follow up article this coming week. So you guys can see that by uh, Friday on T-Lab. 
Uh, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get some interesting quotes from the judge when he responds yeah. to these emails. If he's not outraged by this, then I don't buy that he's being honest. I mean, there's no justifiable reason to do this, especially since and maybe we'll, I'll show you this actually first before we get to the next email right there. As, as he, he said, actually, in the interview, as you wrote, this report, which has now been reviewed four times, is now going to be reviewed a fifth time by the NTP. Uh, and this is Michael Conant, the, the attorney for the Florida Action Network. There will be at least five separate peer review processes extending over four years. This is, to put it mildly, exceptionally unusual. He's very exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's, he's very good at uh, staying lawyerly, you know, and keeping yeah. it. But instead of being like, what the heck is going on? Can you not see this outrage? You know, it's just like he's got to be like, this is a little unusual. We've had. But he, he's making it clear that and that was at the previous hearing that this NTP study, which in the emails, again, you see the HHS and the CDC trying to intervene and say, hey, maybe we need another review. Maybe we need one more review. Let's just wait until we can get the right people to review it, basically, is what right. they're asking for. And, and what he's saying there is essentially two is unprecedented or rather just unusual. And they're at four going on five. It's just everything about this screams dishonest and that there's something going on behind the scenes. And, and Absolutely. Which, go, go, it takes us to the next email here. Uh, go ahead if you want to. Touch yeah, yeah. So I want to make it clear what I'm saying already. This was written by Michael Conant. It's right under the section, what do the fluoride emails reveal? Um, so Michael Conant, again, the attorney for the Fluoride Action Network, this is what he wrote when he was submitting these new um, exhibits. He said, these emails confirm that the NTP considered the May 2022 monograph to be the final report. They also confirm that the CDC was opposed to the NTP releasing the report and that leadership at the top levels of Department of Health and Human Services intervened to stop the report from being released. I don't know how much more clear it can be. Seriously. I mean, that, that's this is criminal activity, guys. I mean, they're especially because if you think about it, and this is why I think it overlaps, which we we'll touched on more in a minute, between things going on elsewhere, COVID or whatever, because... <laughs> There, this is a situation where, I mean, again, we, when we see the full report, if and when, it'll, then we can not know for sure, this is an assumption, but that it's showing you that this is dangerous, as Derek was discussing, and that that's being withheld, knowing that it's dangerous. Think about how, how alarming that is to think the people that are supposed to be keeping you safe are allowing children to be hurt by this because they just don't want to get caught or held. Exactly. It's crazy. And, and my guess is that that's part of the motivation of trying to cover this up because I believe, as I told you when I first found this story, Ryan, I definitely think that uh, if the judge does do what's right and rule that fluoride is a, to is a toxin and can lead to all these health problems, not only would that be the end of water fluoridation in the U.S., but my guess is that would open the ADA, the CDC, the FDA, every other organization in the U.S. government who has been recommending fluoride for 50-plus years to class action lawsuits from millions of people around the, the uh, United States. And that's gigantic and probably crippling financially. But I think the most important thing is what it does, especially off the tail of everybody questioning these injections now. It opens the door to going, OK, exactly. Nothing else they say should be taken at face value, which, by the way, always should have been the reality or the way we engage with authority. But this this would blow that door open. Right. And I think that's Absolutely. what they're trying to avoid. Absolutely. So I'll go to another email here, but um, this one I think is is worth mentioning. They all sort of just point out that the conversations were taking place. As we were pointing out a couple moments ago, the NTP, this case, it's Dr. Mary Wolf. She's letting the CDC director of uh, Division of Oral Health say, our analysis and conclusions are set. We plan to release this by mid to late May 2022. So right there, they're making it known. And then a couple days later, she says it's set for May 18th for publication of the monograph. This is going to be posted to our website and an email will be noticed, uh, sent out to our subscribers. So clearly there was, there was plan to release this thing. And 
Then there was intervention. Later that day, we get this email from Dr. Karen Hacker, who's with the CDC's National Center for Chronic Disease Prevention, where she says that there's concern about publishing the review without an additional review by, quote, NIH leadership. And she also said, maybe we have another interagency review by the Department of Health and Human Services. So this is where you start to see, okay, NIH, Health and Human Services are starting to say, "Well, well, hold on, maybe we need this other review. And Dr. Wolf with the NTP, again, a U.S. government agency that has come together and reviewed this thing four different times now with dozens of different scientists, said, quote, we, the NTP, believe the current findings, as stated in the monograph, reflect the scope of our evaluation and the available scientific literature, and no revision is needed. Again, perfectly clear. They were done. They were ready to release this. And then the CDC comes back on May 12th with this, the May 18th release date, for the monograph is almost certainly not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And this is what they say, the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health and the NIH, NIH Office of Director are pretty clearly going to get more involved. And of course, this wasn't what she said to the NTP. This was a private email between the CDC officials. So while the NTP is emailing them saying, hey guys, thank you, we appreciate that, but we're good. Like we, Our conclusions are set. We're ready to roll this out. There's no revision needed. The CDC is privately talking and saying, okay, well, the, the Health and Human Services and NIH are about to get involved. And, and we wouldn't know about this had this not been FOIA requested, you know, Freedom of Information Act. And you know what it, what it feels like to me, just my opinion, is that they're saying, okay, we gave you four times to fall in line and you didn't do it. So now we're going to stick our finger in and make this decision for you. You know, they were expecting somebody to get the message, right? Another, we need another process. Go do it again. Go right. <laughs> Fourth time. I, I just think that's to me, if, you know, I, again, I, I know I'm a contrarian and I'm probably overly skeptical if that's even possible of the government, but it's clear that this is not being engaged with pro- in an honest way when their own agencies like stop sticking their fingers in this process. You know? Exactly. I, th- I think there's a healthy amount of skepticism warned and warranted in these cases. And because, uh, yeah, like you said, like if and it hats off to the fluoride action at work in this lawsuit in the first place, but to going the extra mile and saying they they clearly filed open records request with the CDC and the NTP and said, show us everything you got related to this fluoride uh, fluoride lawsuit. And then they gathered all those emails. Maybe some of them were you know harmless, but clearly five, four or five of them at least show direct collusion, people like to use that word, and interference between government agencies intervening and another government agency's study that they were prepared to release and said they were totally done because they must not like the conclusions. Right. I mean, how else do you read into this? At the very least, they would give, I mean, I I argue that they're obligated to give a reason, a justification for why this would be dragged out so long when what's up in the air is whether this is hurting children. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's what that's what Michael Condit has tried to argue to the judge, not about this specific thing, although I'm sure he will this Thursday. But at past hearings, he's told the judge when the judge has wanted to wait longer. You know, he's like, well, your honor, I respect that. But I I would, you know, kind of respectfully submit that the longer we wait, people are being harmed by this thing. You know, so like we've got the evidence, we've submitted all the evidence. And if we just keep delaying this, well, people are still drinking fluoride. People are still, you know, thinking it's good for them and brushing their teeth with it and all this kind of stuff. So there, there's real harm on the line here. And I think that's important for all the people who care about the kids or just the health. One thing I did want to say, and this is our job as journalists, the Florida Action Network, Michael Conant, he's an attorney. He does his job. He does it well. He knows what to do. His job isn't to say, guys, look, Rachel Levine and the other official, because we mentioned the NIH Office of Director. Mm-hmm. I never heard of this guy, but his name is Lawrence A. Tabak. Everybody's paying attention to Fauci, but the director of the NIH is over here 
clearly mentioned in some emails about stopping the release of this uh, this monograph, as well as Rachel Levine, the Assistant uh, Secretary of Health for the Department of Health and Human Services. So that's the second highest office in the Department of Health and Human Services. And then the other guy that is mentioned, Lawrence A. Tabak, he's the office of the director of the NIH. That's the actual highest office. So clearly this goes to the highest levels of these two different agencies. And who knows, maybe other emails or subsequent conversations could reveal that it went even higher than that, right? But for sure, we know up to the top levels of the NIH, up to the top levels of the Department of Health and Human Services, clearly mentioned in these emails as intervening to stop the release of this this monograph, which I think it's clear will will make it, you know, final conclusion from the U.S. government, fluoride is a toxin, and they don't want that out. So they're fighting tooth and nail to get it, you know, behind, get it kind of buried or forgotten. And this time they're not able to. Thankfully, you know, we're covering it. We got some help from Children's Health Defense. I saw uh, content creator Riss Flex. She talked about it. Anybody else who wants to talk about this, please do share the articles. Go back and look at my old articles and previous interviews Ryan and I have done because this story needs to get further out there. This should be, I know there's a lot of things fighting for your attention, but this is a big one. We've caught them red-handed. There's lies right here. There's inter- interference in something that we know is causing harm to, to children, and we've got mountains of evidence to back it up. So if you can help amplify this story, maybe it'll make a bigger difference. And um, I do think that even though judges are supposed to be impartial, that if a judge, he's not immune from public reaction. If he's hearing the public is there's a roar about this, he might be more inclined to say, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing. Because as we've said from the beginning of covering this, my concern now that it's been two and a half, almost three years, is that this is never going to be released and that the judge is going to rule that it shouldn't come out. And then it'll just be one of those things that we look back on historically. Oh, we almost had the, you know, the fluoride ended, but we have the evidence. That's the thing is we don't, we don't even need this ruling, but the ruling could potentially overturn the practice of water fluoridation. And that's why it's important. And, and hopefully reach the average people that might not have otherwise even been aware that this is a risk for their children and themselves. You know, exactly. so I, I think that it's undeniable that this is the same kind of government action or lack of action that we've seen in many other facets. And I think that's what's important to, to end with the overlap, the thought about how this clearly is the same kind of thing we're seeing right now with with the discussion about injections and whether or not these things are possible like whether or not you're out there thinking safe and effective or anything else the fact that we know that we should be allowed to engage with this conversation honestly using scientific research and say could this be happening and have an open conversation dialogue with doctors and other scientists and you know that's being shut down aggressively they're passing laws to not even allow doctors to have open conversations and we're supposed to pretend like these people can be taken at face value four or five processes and peer-reviewed processes which is, as he said, abnormal at the very least, it seems obvious that they're trying to hold back something that is damning to them. You know, let's not forget something like the Vietnam War, for example, which we now know looking back was acknowledged to be lost. And for for administration after administration, it was kicked down the road just because they didn't want to be the one to be held accountable for it, let alone all the other things we now know. So just think about that on a surface level. It could be as simple as not wanting to be the administration that gets acknowledged for being the one that opens, that lets this cat out of the bag. You know, it's it's just, so thank you for doing this work, Derek. I think this is so monumentally important and it needs more reach. So please reach out to us, have Derek on the show, let him him inform your audience because this is important. Absolutely. And thank you for uh, taking a moment to talk about it, brother. And as I mentioned earlier, for anybody who wants to hear the update, stay tuned. I will be doing a live tweeting session on Thursday once the hearing happens and then be publishing everything that we find out either Thursday or early Friday. So stay tuned. Outstanding. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, let's, I, I think it's important as well for those that are interested to dive into the, the deeper, more, you know, whatever you want to call it, conspiratorial topics. I mean, the, the concept of the pineal gland and all these things, there's, there's valid discussion to be had there about what this may do more than just lowering your IQ or, or in regard to, you know, how you're mentally active in a general sense, or there's a lot of things to look into here. Bottom line is it should be your choice. I think that's Absolutely. always where we end up. Right. So thank you for being here, brother. And as always, everybody out there question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.